0: Welcome to the latest episode of At The Flicks. Yes, the three old-timers are back with our eclectic mix of news, reviews and rambling discussions on everything movie related. Hello out there, my name is Jeff, and my main cinema interests are political and horror movies. My ideal film would be a remake of the 1970s classic The Werewolf of Washington, where the president's press aide is a werewolf. Maybe that's what's happened to Sean Spicer, lads. He is now off barking at the moon while his former boss remains... Well, just barking...
1: Hi, and I'm Graham, and I cover science fiction and comics. My ideal film would be a Leith bracket adaptation of Annie E.M. Banks' culture novel, directed by Christopher Nolan and starring Patrick Stewart and Kirsten Ritter. Hi, uh,
2: I'm Neil, and I like films in general. My ideal film for the purposes of this podcast would be a French animation that the other
0: two haven't seen. In my case, i will be every one of them. French to animation, well, that's like German to comedy. But obviously, you haven't seen Goodbye Lenin, Jeff. It's an excellent
2: film. I'll bring it to the DVD next time I see you. Okay, Jeff, put me out of my misery. What was the answer to last month's just for fun quiz question? Been racking my brains. I can't recall the rumours before Beverly Hot Hills Cop was made. Well,
0: Neil, before I put you out of your misery, I'll answer the question first. As a recap for our listener, and I hope you're well this month, who may already be asleep, so I'd better talk quietly. The question was, before Eddie Murphy, who was originally going to be the Beverly Hills cop? The answer, surprisingly, is Sylvester Stallone. Yes, this was going to be more action-orientated. However, even after a rewrite, Mr. Stallone wasn't comfortable with the comedy, so he withdrew. Incredibly, and I didn't know this before I set the question... Mickey Rourke was also considered before the part of Axel Foley went to Eddie Murphy and history was made.
1: I didn't know that. It just wouldn't be the same with Sylvester Stallone inserting the comedy banana into the car's exhaust. A joke I see was copied in Peter Rabbit, which we're going to talk about later. Yeah. Given the nature of Hollywood, I guess recasting goes on quite a bit.
0: Indeed it does, Graham. Here are some other examples of what nearly happened. Can you imagine Frank Sinatra as Dirty Harry? No. Warren Beatty as Bill in Kill Bill? And Sean Cannery... I'll start again, shall I? And Sean Sean Connery, not Cannery, as Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings films. All turned down those roles. Thank goodness. Who knows? Maybe these actually happened in an alternate reality where Neil is a specialist on horror movies. Not even in an alternative reality, Jeff.
2: Although I have watched The Exorcist, and as apparently that's as good as it gets, why would I bother? Okay, enough of this nonsense. Graham, what do we have to talk about this month?
1: Right, in this reality, our our theme for discussion this month is the summer blockbuster. Is it in decline? If so, what caused it? And what is the future of the summer movie season? After that, we have our very popular and uh, irreverent... (laughs) No, irrelevant, right. Irrelevant, yes, irrelevant, (laughs) irreverent movie news section, followed by our reviews Peter Rabbit Tomb Raider and I Tonya and as if that isn't enough for you (laughs) Jeff has been reading through his books and come up with another challenging question for the end of the show really can't wait for that Jeff thanks a bunch okay let's get this show on the road Jeff do you want to give us some more detail on the summer blockbuster theme well guys
0: as the weather is finally getting warmer over here in the UK I thought it'd be good to ask the question what happened to the summer movie season? Every summer, as people look forward to getting outside, beaches, sun and holidays, Neil, I'd take that would be you, <laughs> my upbringing would be slightly different. I used to look forward to that time between the beginning of May and the end of August as the time to get to the cinema for the blockbuster movies. After almost 40 years of this pilgrimage, that excitement has long gone. Is it me, and my grumpy old age, or am I for once being insightful. Uh,
1: No, no, you're just being grumpy.
0: (laughs) I knew I could rely on you for support. Thank you, Lance. Very good. Okay, so that was an obvious cheap shot, and I look forward to getting your views on this. But first, let me give you a history lesson. Are you sitting comfortably? Before 1975, when Neil was just in his early 30s, there was no summer movie season. The studios used the summer to dump films they they didn't think worked Or forgettable family films for the kids. Don't forget, this is also Disney's worst period following Walt's death in 1966. Then Jaws released in America in June 1975. What many suspected would be a bomb because of a troubled production turned out to be a blockbuster hit. Much analysis has been done on the factors for this success. The book was a huge bestseller the intense advertising campaign by universal and the rise of the american mall air conditioned multiplexes so what was wrong with the production what happened Oof, the shark couldn't work uh, they <laughs> literally that's that's that music score that john williams ca- came about was because they couldn't get the shark to work from any of the scenes so they rewrote a lot of it and replaced the shark with a cello and and exactly <laughs> right and it, Just the basic rule of all, never film on the water. A lesson Waterworld never learned. That's another story for another time. So, uh, while it was a mega hit, and Jaws was a massive hit in this time, there were still those that felt it was a one-off. That was until Star Wars opened in May 1977. The die was cast. Although both films were predicted to be box office disasters until they opened, which is why they ended up in the summer in the first place now interesting fact in the uk both films were not released in the summer months both were held back for limited london release in the christmas of their respective year before wider releases in february of the following year anyway back to the main plot the summer season took off and everyone wanted big releases out during the month of may's may sorry to early august the end of august continues to be a graveyard to this day the early days were wonderful even if until well into the 1980s certain summer releases were still held back for a uk christmas release examples of that et back to the future gremlins and ghostbusters yet over the years the excitement of getting these big releases has tempered to what we have now now i'm going to give an example of this to compare so let's look at some of the films released in one of the early years and i'll take 1981 before the full mayhem had kicked off and compare it to the films of last year 2017 we can then discuss what has gone wrong or you guys might think it's still as good as ever um so 1981 one of the first years for a full slate of big movies in uk cinemas through the summer so here's the examples of what we had that summer excalibur time bandits caveman clash of the titans raiders of the lost ark the cannonball run superman 2 for your eyes only and stripes however i would say that one of the biggest hits of that american summer season back in 1981 was held back for a christmas release in that case it was arthur and i would also point out to you how few sequels there are in that list now let's look at the year 2017, where 83 percent of the films were sequels,
1: reboots, or rip-offs. Oh, hang on a minute, Jeff! Are you about to do another list? Uh, I think Neil and I can help you with this one. Oh, really? Do you have to? Oh yeah. yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. oh, you, <laughs> you too. Don't. I mean, you're going to replace Anton Deck at this rate. <laughs> oh, oh, well, I'll
0: be the drunk one.
1: <laughs> 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 okay,
0: uh, Graham, you can drive.
1: Yeah. Um. <laughs> Dear old Lord. <laughs> right. Okay, so let's okay. go down the list. What, hang, then. hang on, hang on. That's five minutes in, and we're into cheap shots of Anton Deck. That's uh, a new record, aren't yeah.
2: you? Yeah. Okay, know. starting the list. So let's start the list. list then. Okay. Transformers: The Last Night Sequel. Uh, Cars Three Sequel. Pirates of the Caribbean: Dead, uh, Dead Men Tell No Tales
1: Sequel. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two Sequel. Spider-Man: Homecoming Reboot. Wonder Woman. Original and brilliant.
2: Baby Driver, original and brilliant.
1: Dunkirk, original and my movie of the year for 2017. Despicable Me
2: 3, the clues in the title.
1: (laughs) Fast and the Furious 8, oh, don't get me started.
2: The Mummy, ill thought out reboot.
1: (laughs) Annabelle's Creation, oh, God, no idea, Jeff, that's a horror movie, isn't it? Good one as well. Atomic (laughs) Blonde, original. The Dark Tower, original, and possibly the worst waste of talent ever.
0: Agreed.
2: King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, original and failed, although I lied to. You need help.
0: Yeah. Uh, hang on a minute. How can that be original when I just spoke about Excalibur in 1981? But you wrote it. <laughs> okay.
1: You wrote this list. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Do you want that bit cut? Okay. I didn't, I,
0: I didn't write <laughs> original <laughs> there. <laughs>
1: well and the last one valerian and the city of a thousand planets which is just original but original sin really uh, i well, hope you appreciate that your friends here actually helped you through that yeah. bloody boring yeah. list
0: uh, yeah. ab- absolutely i really appreciate it but calling wonder woman original when it was a follow-on for a sequel to the wonderful godlike Batman versus Superman, (laughs) Um, I I, I think you might be stretching a point there.
1: Back on your hobby horse.
0: (laughs) Exactly right. Over to you.
1: Okay, Jeff. Okay, the the evidence there does seem pretty damning uh, and that we're now in the era of uh, sequels and franchise movies, we don't want to come across as three grumpy old men harking back to our glory days. Um, Well, we are three grumpy old men, but let's not tell everyone shall we i think uh, our listener knows (laughs) i think the lack of a clear summer blockbuster season is more a symptom of a radical market change uh, than uh, an underlying reduction in the quality or storytelling ability um you have to remember there were some awful movies in the 70s and 80s because i went and saw some of them um from your original list uh, caveman caveman was the only flop on that list financially that's true uh, and i noticed you missed out uh, green ice
0: oh that classic ryan o'neill let's do a robbery by air balloon film yeah, yes yes, yes. Uh, uh, gone but uh, yes completely forgotten the industry can't take any chance
2: anymore which more which uh, which of the films in 1981 made money uh, proper every, money. Everyone on that list other L- than caveman lots and lots of money Billions. Also, while I agree there was a lot of sequels. Well I agree there were a lot of sequels in twenty seventeen. I think you'll find your statistics a way out. Um, you're just wrong. From your list, assuming you're complete, although knowing you I'm sure they are, there are seven (laughs) original films in nineteen eighty-one and two sequels. In summer twenty seventeen there were eight original films.
1: Yeah, we've been doing our homework, Jeff. Yeah, we've yeah, been yeah, doing yeah, our yeah, homework. Yeah, well, okay. I've just been yeah. adding
2: it up. Thousands <laughs> of films are released annually now, so often we don't have to wait a week for a new blockbuster film, or if none's open, at least an interesting film to go and see. Even our local Cineworld world puts on films that might not get a huge audience. Disney Pixar did put out summer films, like Inside Out in 2015. Since then, apart from sequels, they've been Halloween or Christmas-related, Coco and Frozen. Summer is still blockbuster season in 2017, 17. The difference was that so so was October to May, with award season chases in between. Absolutely.
1: Yeah.
2: Well,
0: I've got to say, that was all bollocks. Um, <laughs> you're, you're just, I give you a list of films that were not complete. If I was to list every film that was to open in 2017 we'd have been here, we'd still be here now. And you didn't list all the other films that opened in 1981. No, that's correct, I didn't, Neil. But some, somehow you latched on to the fact that there were seven original films in the list I gave. I also didn't mention Gregory's Girl, which also came out in that summer, also completely original. And, oh, great, great film. Yes. Wonderful, love that. Yeah. Now, let's look at 2017. And, you know, I do financially it was down on 2016 and I'm hoping that will be a wake up call because generally those films were terrible and you said it <laughs> yourself guys you know, and let's not forget these blips occur throughout, I, talk, I did take 1981 but 1980 was something of a disappointment the year before you know, the box office stars of the time, Clint Eastwood had Bronco Billy, Burt Reynolds had Rough Cut everybody remembers that note <laughs> as, as is Robert Redford's Brubaker all were flops, and the age of stars were then seen to be dead, and things changed. You know, the films that were big in the summer of 80 were a little thing called Empire Strikes Back, Airplane, and one of both of your favourites, The Shining. <laughs> so that change started there. It reverberated through in 81. I am hoping what went on in 2017 is going to start changing things for 2018 and beyond. But at the moment... I'm
1: sorry, I'm just not seeing it. I think one of the key points and the key differentiators between now and then, is that the um, the financial environment in which movies are made has also changed considerably in, in, since the, the 80s. The production costs are sky high these days. Um, Marvel budgets are rarely below uh, $200 million. Marvel, the Anarchy antichrist
0: the... of modern cinema.
2: Plus oh, a $100, got... oh, 100 million on marketing. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, hang on. Uh, okay, he doesn't like Marvel, so let, let me just go. So, the... Um, the last Star Wars film, The uh, Jedi, The Last Jedi, $200 million as well, strangely enough. That seems to be a key number, and $100 million on marketing. Yeah, uh, But uh, if you go back to the, the uh, original Star Wars, adjusting for inflation, the total cost of making the original Star Wars, masterpiece that it is, $40 million. So on average, blockbusters now, or the same film from the same franchise, uh, cost five times... As much to, uh, to make as they did back then, and the other thing that's radically changed is the world market. The, the rise of uh, China, in particular, uh, in the eighties, a summer blockbuster could turn a profit in America, and the rest was just cream. You know, they just yeah. uh, you know our gravy, and they would just sell it to the UK um, in those days, and probably Canada and other English-speaking places like um, Australia and New Zealand uh, but today it has to play well in China to uh, make money for, for
0: once I, I, I've got to agree with you guys um, if you look at the top <laughs> on, four <laughs> films of 2018 so far three are Chinese uh, the, the top film of 2018 so far is Black Panther oh, great um, <laughs> but then the next thing is yes. something like Monster House 2 or something like that it's some bizarre Chinese ghost action movie um, but you, you take a look at the list; it,
1: it makes for interesting re- reading. Mm-hmm. But there's, yeah, the the other thing is that the the whole market has changed because the, because the huge, as as Neil said earlier on, the huge amounts of money involved. It attracts money men, or as I I like to call them, business bastards. Yeah, people like Harvey Weinstein.
0: Hey, yeah, hey, hey, mm-hmm. yeah. Hang on a minute now. Harvey Weinstein knew how to pick a film. It's just women he went wrong. With. <laughs>
1: I mean these people come on Jeff they have no real idea about the movie they're given a 30 second elevator pitch and no true idea of the story the music and the creative elements Um, they just see the movie as a product and the actors as uh, expenses and, and the directors as project managers rather than a creative team working on a piece of art and they invest to make a return you know, and that drives the sequel market and, and let's not take risks approach and, and the business bastards wait to see if a crazy one-off movie is a hit and then they all pile on and try and, to squeeze and, some profit out of it.
2: And they put them out when they know people will be wanting to go to the cinema.
1: Yeah.
0: Right, okay, so let's just drive a hole in what complete nonsense I've just heard. <laughs> Harvey Weinstein, for all its oh, faults, and, you know, absolutely everything that's happened to this guy he deserves, However, his production company turned round and made Shakespeare in Love a worldwide hit—a film about Shakespeare, a worldwide hit.
1: That blows all your arguments out the water. No, it doesn't. No, of course he didn't make a film called no. A creative team made a film. He just gave them the money. To market and to marketing. marketing. So he believed that that film was going to do well. He probably looked at the metrics and consulted his spreadsheet and went, okay, I'll take a punt on this. You know? okay. There's no frickin' – there, there, you know, there's financial investment and there's sort of emotional investment and he didn't have any emotional investment, I'm convinced of it, yeah.
0: We have gone off tangent because that isn't a summer movie, but Okay. <laughs>
1: Okay, So, yeah, the the amount of money also drives these these reboots, of classics. I mean, last year's Mummy, and we've talked a lot about the Mummy, Mm -hmm. Jeff, um, because we were just both devastated. It was so absolutely terrible. And if I go back a few years, the thing that really upset me was the Indiana Jones movie, The Crystal Skull or whatever it was called. Yeah. That was a (laughs) money-making scheme I've ever seen. And he's doing it again, isn't he? He's doing
0: another one. He's filming it next year, the the, the final Indiana Jones film.
1: Please tell me that Harrison Ford's not gonna be in
0: it. Harrison Ford is in it, but oh, as the some good news, Shia LaBeouf is not in it.
1: <laughs> Small mercies. Yeah, so I mean audiences are waking up to all this money and, and, and the, the lack of creativity and you know, Transformers, as we said in last month's news section, Transformers has been put on ice because not enough people went to watch it because it was Terrible. It was absolute. Neil, you watched it again, didn't you? Yes, liked I did, it. Didn't
2: it? it was, no, it was terrible.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think there's a really good bit with some extras in there watching one of the car chases. because oh, yeah, oh, you were in it. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I was there. Yeah. yeah. But we do get great stories. Now, all
2: that said, we do get good stories as well as um, there are thousands of movies out here. And we discussed last month one of the best originals out last summer Baby Driver. Oh,
0: absolutely. I, I agree. I. <laughs> for all the faults of of last summer and uh, you know we've gone through we've gone through the list two to me stand out dunkirk and baby driver both were summer films the really sad thing about that is dunkirk only ended up as a summer movie not because people felt that's where it should be placed it's because execs looked and said well we put Saving Private Ryan out in the summer season; that worked well. Let's do the same for Dunkirk. Now, I think Dunkirk, whatever time of year it would have gone out, would have been a big hit. The fact it was in that summer season give it a prestige I don't think it it, it would have normally deserved.
1: No, no, no. I think it's it's a stellar film, really stellar, and it, it'd come out at any time. I think it would have been just accepted as brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I don't i. Uh, you know there is a, a part of me that thinks you know the, the summer season is not as big as it used to be but there is also the award season and you can see things coming yeah. pitching in for the award season and yeah. then there's just there is so much stuff out there now it's unbelievable yeah. but to come back to your point neil about the, the there are lots of brilliant ideas and stories today even the most derided especially by jeff comic book movies marvel no no not just marvel any comic book movies all of the comic movies to date have been based on story ideas that come from the comics right so in most cases they've taken the best story ideas from the past 40 years of comics and adapted them to the screen and adapted them really well and and filled in some of the glaring problems in in the uh, comic book version so infinity war uh, Civil War, Winter Soldier all based on comic book stories and the same goes for DC, the excellent Wonder Woman was lifted straight from a comic book story idea.
0: So does that mean Boredom of the Galaxy, that came from one as well? Yeah.
1: Oh, okay. Oh, boredom <laughs> You're Sorry. getting back for me for my suicide plod remark. And what was the other thing I came up with for... Uh, you put down DC, that was uh, the Yeah, all yeah. right. Yeah, suicide Justice plod plague. And, Justice plague, thank you. <laughs> and so it shall forever be known. And the other, of course, the other monster... Uh, thing that's changing the the industry hugely is the, the distribution you know there's a sea change in the way movies are distributed you know the arrival of services such as Netflix and Amazon Prime is changing the industry in multiple ways It's opening up all sorts of avenues for experiments and risks to be taken and distribution and the rise of the online distribution well, that's just too big a topic to deal with here, but it is also radically changing the industry.
0: Indeed, I think we'll come back to this next month as a topic, <laughs> where, where we think we go in overall with cinema. We're just looking at summer seasons here, although we've skipped a bit into other things. but generally where cinema's going is quite interesting at the moment, and I think we'll talk about that. So I've sat and I've listened quietly. To you YouTube, have yes, I have. Yeah. Come yeah. with it. For me, I have. <laughs> and the worrying thing about what you're saying is, everything you say is about money and franchise. In '81, it wasn't like that. Oh, this is the, the heart purity, of the problem of modern purity. cinema. We need a, we need some sort of music in the <laughs> yeah, background. dramatic as he's. All yeah, you know, <laughs> Graham there mentioned the fact that. There was the Kingdom of the Crystal the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, you're not looking for the next Indiana Jones film. When that first one came out in the summer of eighty one, Raiders of the Lost Ark, how exciting were you looking forward to oh, that the was, next one?
1: Was, I went and saw it twice in yeah. in, in the same weekend. It was just yeah. amazing.
0: Yeah. And it's great, you know, and Indiana Jones and The Temple of Doom, which is the second one which came out in eighty four. Mm. Still exciting. But yet people are looking at Steven Spielberg and saying, Steve you might be making a mistake going one more with this so i think the it's literally eaten itself that said and i'd like to end on a note of hope (laughs) (laughs) i was speaking to my good friend phil foster aka phil the bear who we mentioned most most months who does Uh, does an excellent
1: blog phil i was reading it today i was very impressed
0: good and he reminded me about Doug Lyman, a director who does make original content, and most of which are released during the summer months, as indeed are Edgar Wright's films, the greatest two of Edgar Wright's films, Baby Driver and Scott Pilgrim Versus the World, which so I think is brilliant. Now, with Doug Lyman, the first Born movie was his, before that franchise kicked in, uh, although the franchise itself is quite good. Yep. Edge of Tomorrow, oh, masterpiece and last year's American Made are all intelligent films which perfectly conform to what used to excite me about the summer movies they're blockbusters, exciting and well written I'll leave you with this thought for 1981, 7 Oscars went to films released in the summer season for 2017 there were only 3 and more Oscars are given out now than were in 81. and all of those 3 were for just one film Dunkirk so where does that leave us? In my opinion, the creative spark has gone out of the summer season and I don't think we're going to see many classics like we used to in the 80s. Neil and Graham have come up with a different view and that that creative spark is still there, although spread amongst more films. And Neil makes an excellent point that the summer season now lasts all year. So what do you, the listener, think? Are we making a mountain out of a molehill on this? Or are there real problems in the summer season? One of the things that came up during this discussion, which we're all quite interested in, is where does cinema go from here? Have these money men and the franchises taken over too much so that we're not getting original content anymore? Or the changes with Amazon and Netflix are going to change how we view films in the future? that is a theme that we're going to discuss in more detail next time so if that interests you please pop back next month right that's me finish neil
2: thank goodness for that quickly leaving that behind let's go on with the movie news
0: For this month's movie news, we start with a film which, in part at least, will be filmed nearest in Gloucestershire, England. Official Secrets stars Keira Knightley and Matt Smith and is based on the true story of Catherine Gunn, who worked at GCHQ until 2003. Now, in these days of Edward Snowden, who has already had a film made about him, it's easy to forget Catherine and the important contribution she made. In January 2003, Miss Gunn came into contact with an email which stated the American government were planning to bug the United Nations offices of countries who they were uncertain would support their plans to invade Iraq. The email subsequently was published in the Observer, prompting a breach of the official Secrets Act court case. Neil and Graham, do you remember this case? Yes. Yep.
1: Obviously, we all live in and around children yes. so it was pretty big yeah, news
0: yeah. around here. Obviously, this is being bugged as we speak. So they'll—I'm <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised somebody from there hasn't come in and said, "Yeah, we remember it as well." Oh, it's Graham.
1: They could just download it from iTunes. Yeah, you know, so that's <laughs> not
0: that hard. <laughs> so that's true. I hadn't thought of that. Kira Knightley will play Miss Gunn, while Max Smith will play Observer reporter Martin Bright, who broke the story. Other members of the cast have yet to be announced, although this film was almost made a couple of years ago when Anthony Hopkins and Harrison Ford were to have roles. Whether they'll be back this time remains to be seen. The really good news about this film is the director will be Gavin Hood, South African chap who made the excellent Eye in the Sky a couple of years ago. Filming started in March in a number of UK locations, and I'm pretty sure Cheltenham will have to be one of them. Guys, what do you think of having those famous people as potential neighbours for a few weeks? Although I'm sure they all complain rented next door to Neil and his constant watching of summer blockbusters. Who's renting next door? I wasn't listening. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Jeff I live in Cheltenham and I, I know lots of people who work for GCHQ uh, and they're really lovely people but not the stuff of movies come on they spend most of their days sifting data sets looking for patterns that's not an exciting uh, story in that I don't think so um, well there was another film
0: filmed about GCHQ
1: back in the 80s it was
0: wasn't it um, yeah The Whistleblower
1: The Whistleblower yep. Michael Caine excellent film Yeah. Yeah. OK, staying with reality, we've just learned... Oh, Christ, I can't believe I'm going to have to say this. We've just learned that Expendables 4 has been greenlit to start filming this summer. The over-the-hill mercenaries are back. Jeff and Neil, you're almost old enough to be part of this
0: film now. I'll only take part if Neil takes one of the villain roles. We can have an epic fight as I try to take his Zimmer frame away. You can... As I, I, long as I keep my
2: golf clubs, you can have it. So they propping it up with them, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, you'll have competition from Sylvester Stallone and what's this guy's name, Randy Kutcher. Kutcher, Oh God, who's committed to return when filming starts in Bulgaria? Yeah, this summer, Jeff. I thought this was uh, the fourth outing was cancelled this year I thought this was, wasn't was going to happen what the hell happened
0: yeah that's right you, you, you're correct there Graham I thought that as well Sylvester Stallone was unhappy with the lower certificate approach of Expendables 3 he didn't want this to get a 12 and said if there's no Arnie then there will also be no Sly however in January a deal was reached and, and I am now hearing that Mr. Stallone may well direct as well as act in this one God, that sounds like Arnie
1: i'll be back oh god <laughs> and i hear jason jason stratham is more than likely to be a f- oh, fast, fast and furious can i say that <laughs>
0: yeah yeah or statham as well if you wanted to oh yeah, yeah. statham yeah. Yeah. him as well
1: yes <laughs> after that who would be the over the hill heroes of the team to team up with them i mean perhaps clint eastwood could finally come back and revive his uh, dirty harry role or if you want crazy call for nicholas cage Or maybe even the orange chap who could disarm school shooters when unarmed himself. And with his oh-so-little hands. (laughs) I suppose if we bring orange men in, we are heading towards marvel territory, which I know Jeff loves. Orange guys like Logan will be able to heal quickly to help his fellow mercenaries. We will be especially good at recovering from bone spurs, so his running (laughs) ability will not be affected. Or... On a more serious note, as serious a note as I can get when talking about another Expendables, if, this, if the filmmakers want to keep up with the current times, how about women of a certain age, being politically correct Good Graham. Sigourney Weaver, Linda Hamilton, Helen Mirren, Irma Thurman, all would be brilliant, or to be honest, could deliver the one-liners much better and could actually read them without the aid of bifocals. You can always borrow yours, thank you. (laughs) Which brings us up, uh, brings us to who we think will play the villain in Expendables 3. It was Mel Gibson, and his career has been somewhat restored since then, ignoring obviously Daddy's Home 2, which is dreadful. And is now actually Daddy's Home 2 has now become my standard film on Rotten Tomatoes for seeing how crap a film is. So, if it's lower than Daddy's Home 2, it's atrocious. You
2: should have a reference point. He's, I think that's, that's my,
1: my t- tideline
0: of poo, basically. I've got to ask, what is the point in uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, where it's at? What? What? What score has it got on
1: Rotten Tomatoes? Daddy's answer. Home 2, 49. 49. 49? I know. I know. Not, 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 not even the original daddy's home it's daddy's home too the really bad one mel gibson's career was somewhat restored uh, what do you think it'd be could step in for the role of the uh, the body
0: well graham i think it's tailor-made for kevin spacey oh, you'll geez. never get him this cheap again good chat jeff are you going to be his dumb
2: sidekick
1: uh oh right moving on graham <laughs> i think you've got a point jeff Given all that's been said about Kevin Spacey over the last few months, I'm sure that at least a few ticket sales will be from members of the public wanted to see him punished on screen. As an added movie extra, maybe members of the cast can punch him for real in the closing credits. Can we do the same to Neil over the credits of this show? Oh God, I knew that was coming. OK, let's stop there. Uh, I'm sure we're going to come back to this story many times as the casting names are announced. Neil, restore some order, please.
2: Well, let me post a question to be to you both what role would you pick to follow up winning an oscar in the case of sam rockwell best supporting actor is going to voice a silverback gorilla in the one and only ivan this disney animated live action hybrid is based on the newbery medal winning book from k a applegate about the aforementioned gorilla who has lived in a a cage in the mall for 27 years 27 years when a baby elephant is brought in as a new ex- exhibit um, Ivan starts to remember his old life and plans to re- an escape the voice of Stella the elephant will be played by Angelina Jolie the actors performing live include Brian Cranston and Ariana Greenblatt what do you think a family film you want to see when it's released yeah, it does sound interesting I must admit I haven't
0: no. read the book on which it was based Agreed, I'd like to see it. However, my enthusiasm dropped off since director Mike Newell. Oh, God. Four Weddings and a Funeral, and the best of the overrated Harry Potter films, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, has been replaced as director by Thea Sharrock, best known for Me Before You, and a couple of Call the Midwife episodes.
1: Oh. Me before you, what a disgraceful
2: ignoring your, <laughs> ignoring your cheap shot at the almighty Harry Potter. <laughs> I should think, I, I still think this will be good when you consider the talent involved. And speaking of talent, over to you, Graham, for your film review.
1: Okay, so I'm first up with my review, and my film for this month is Tomb Raider. Um, so it's a Tomb Raider movie reboot. Uh, we all suffered through the two previous terrible Angelina Jolie. Uh, tomb raider movies uh, we talked earlier about sequels and reboots and this movie is a reboot so for anyone who's been living in a tomb on a desert island for the last 30 years tomb raider was a computer game from the late 1990s it only had one character the uh, tomb raider herself Lara croft heiress to the croft fortune and effectively a female indiana jones with a british accent uh, the original computer game was, however, exceptional uh, and groundbreaking for the time, featuring running, shooting, jumping, and solving puzzles. And puzzles were a large part of it. Uh, and a great games were. I loved playing the, the games. It was a huge influence on the games industry in, 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 in total, uh, spawning hundreds of rip offs, and it made the developers uh, millions. I take uh, it you uh,
0: played the game oh, when yeah. it first came out? Yeah, yeah,
1: and I played it. Um, and my daughter played all of them right the way through I remember at the time she mm. every Tomb Raider game that came out she had not to have it mm. fabulous um, even last year I mean it's, it's, it's still its influence is still felt even today even last year's amazing uh, Horizon Zero Dawn game with its strong female lead character has some of the old Tomb Raider DNA in there cool so it's a serious question then um,
0: considering it was completely devised by men mm-hmm do you think it was a female role model as a game? No. No? No.
1: Not, okay. not at all. Not with the original body image they had. But that aside, the fact of... Oh, yeah. yeah. I think from, a, from a, get, a pure game mechanics perspective, having a woman in the lead role, yeah, it was, yeah. It was good. You know? Okay. Yeah. Um, Just being politically correct. <laughs> good. good grief. I mean, Laura's signature features in the original game were a, a pair of... Inexhaustible pistols and a pair of anatomically unfeasible breasts. And
0: politically correctness goes out the window.
1: (laughs) See, games developers in the 90s knew their target market was teenage boys, hence the pistols. Were you a teenage boy in the (laughs) 90s? No, I wasn't.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I was now. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, second time around.
1: The the Tomb Raider games got a bit uh, long in the tooth and they were completely rebooted about five years ago, and, and the new game features a much younger Lara with a more believable female body shape. And this movie's based on on that version of the game. Uh, She still does, however, have the uh, two pistols. So the the movie, um, the the Tomb Raider movie, stars the the very beautiful Swedish actress, um, Alicia Vikander, as Lara Croft, whose billionaire father and explorer disappears while searching for a tomb of a female Japanese emperor. Lara has spent the year since her father's disappearance rejecting her heritage and working as a bike cur- career in Shoreditch. Events conspire for her to set off on a quest to find her missing father, played by Dominic West, and she eventually ends up on an island containing the tomb of the emperor and has to solve a number of puzzles, just like the game, to find the final resting place of the said emperor. The movie is very true to the game, involving lots of running, jumping, shooting and solving puzzles. It's not a bad movie. It's not a great move- movie, but it's not bad. Uh, the main thing is that Alicia Vacant is way better than this movie she is the perfect modern Laura gutsy heroine, tough as nails smart, resourceful and graceful Gym- gymnastic in, in, she was trained as
2: a gymnast,
1: was she? Yes. Oh, and it certainly shows yes. it certainly shows um, the the movie's fast paced the action keeps coming it's just that it's not very interesting not uh, a gymnast sorry she was a, trained in the ballet
2: what am I talking about oh she's about? a
1: ballerina
0: ballerina yes oh, a lot where gym- would we be without your incisive <coughs> wit and knowledge Neil <laughs> well, I'd we'd finish not- earlier
1: <laughs> <laughs> right okay Vikander uh, Shines uh, and the rest of the cast are very dull uh, I mean uh, this um, there is a lot of acting talent in this movie but all of it's wasted Dominic West gives the worst performance of his life in this movie Derek Jacoby Catherine uh, Kristen Scott Thomas and about half a dozen uh, they've got about a half a dozen lines between them and those are two you know fabulous actors and they just get wasted and the, the one that really got me was Hong Kong's Daniel Wu he plays Sonny in the excellent uh, Badlands series on Amazon Prime. He's a brilliant example of the Hong Kong action cinema style, and he gets zero action in this movie. I mean, in in Badlands, he's running about, jumping, he's chopping people up with swords. Nothing in this movie. I think he carries a gun for five minutes and shoots a few people, and that's about it. And Nick Frost, who's really very funny, when he is uh, in a character's face and he's interacting physically... Uh, he's very very funny but in this movie he sat down behind a glass screen so he can't actually go, oh, it's just a nightmare so he's actually physically prevented from being funny in the end you know the candor carries the entire movie all the action the majority of the dialogue and all of the acting the rest of the movie just happens around her and what a terrible waste of talent and effort the last five minutes of the movie are obviously a setup. Uh, for the next um for the next movie i've since learned that the movie's doing quite well so i think there might be a a sequel in the offing but i'm beginning to spot a pattern here with strong female leads neil's movie review has margot robbie being constantly punched in the face and we spend a lot of this movie watching alicia vakanda receiving the same treatment time's up hollywood stop punching actresses in the face so gentlemen how is toot raider for you well, Graham,
0: I think I liked it more than you. <laughs> I thought the first half of the movie in particular was very well paced and the action set piece is carefully built out from what I thought was a very exciting cycle race to possibly the best action set piece of the year so far, which takes place on a crashed World War II plane precariously balanced over an unbelievably high waterfall. directly from, uh, Completely from the game, though. That, that's all in yeah, the game but I don't play computer games <laughs>
1: okay.
0: I have a life so
1: I only see Wh- where did the... you get that did you buy that in Sainsbury's that life well,
0: that life yeah <laughs> no, I bought it in the cinema actually <laughs> exactly. um, so uh, I wouldn't know it from the game but in terms of the film I thought that worked really well I mean in the second half of the film as the tomb of the title comes into play yes I would say we are very much in Indiana Jones territory yeah. and the escaping from the fallen structure was frankly just silly
1: uh, don't forget that one of the creators, Toby Gard, uh, was, always said that Indiana Jones was a major influence on this character. So.
0: Yeah, very true, and I think that certainly comes in with the end of that film. However, I would have liked to have seen more influence in his latter stages rather than just a copy. Uh, for me, the standout of the film, exactly as you've said, is Alicia Vikander's performance. She brings a real humanity to the role and is believable throughout The sequence where she has to kill someone hand-to-hand is powerful and not what you would normally expect from this type of film. In fact, she is so other good, the other actors pale by comparison. I disagree with you about Dominic West's performance. No, he was short. No, I don't think he was that bad. He just doesn't register in the way that Miss Vikander does. And I would say the same about Walter Goggins
1: as the villain. She is so good, everything else pales into insignificance. Yeah, I agree the set piece uh, uh, in the airplane over the waterfall was incredible but again uh, the only person in the entire scene was Vikander and all the good bits were where she was on her own yeah. and, uh, and I, no Dominic West, I, I'm, I read the review in The Guardian um, and they thought he was terrible as well, in fact one of the comments said when he was sat down there uh, setting off the bombs and things it just looked like he'd shed his pants he wasn't really acting
0: well, thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm not going to wait till the end. I'm going to throw a quick question in here. So, let's take the the two actresses that have played Tomb Raider. What do they have in common? Okay, uh, uh, that was just a moot point because I'll answer it before Neil embarrasses himself. <laughs> They're both Oscar winners in the Best Supporting Actress category, and in fact, and just to make it even more bizarre, the films they won for both had "girl" in the title girl interrupted girl interrupted was one and the danish girl was the other okay (laughs) so again it shows the actress the caliber of the actresses making these films um what surprises me about the film is that for a blockbuster action film how little humor there is in it yeah that's a good point that aside this is far better than expected certainly far better than the other tomb raider films And by making Alicia Vikander so independent and strong, it retained my interest throughout. Oh, and the music score from Junkie XL is wonderful. One final thing from me. I said they stretched credibility with the Raiders-style finale. However, that I can accept but they went too far with the London pawnbroker shop run by Nick Frost and Jamie Winstone, which is able to sell top-of-the-range handguns. Sorry, everyone. Second Amendment rights thankfully don't work in the UK. Over to you, Neil.
2: (laughs) I really enjoyed the film. We didn't get an unrealistically attired lead. She wore what she would in the situation. Well done, time's up. up. The times, they are a-changing. Oh, God.
1: That's Alicia a song v- from
2: when you were young, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, and you. Alicia Vikander is engaging and believable. She has to carry the film, and she deserves credit for achieving that. The story is a bit flimsy, but it's true to the game that can't be helped. The first few scenes where she's working as a courier, can't pay her boxing club fees, and is coming a definite second in a fight. was a really good start. She has to learn to be the Clara Croft we expect, and she gets more confident as the film progresses. Well played, Alicia Vikander. Candor. I did enjoy the ending where we get a glimpse of the potential baddie in the next film. Despite all the criticism of sequels earlier, I'm looking forward to this one, hopefully soon. But, guns in the UK, on display and sold without question. Please. That's exactly just, right. Just to
1: come back, I did like the headlock thing. So in the the start of the film, she, the girl gets her in a headlock and right? yes. she has to tap out. Yeah. And then later in the film, the other guy gets her in a headlock and right? yes. she has to clobber him with a, a rock to get out of that. Yeah. And then finally at she the end... She
0: started thinking. Getting and,
1: started thinking. And I, I yeah. thought that was quite clever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: but picking up on Neil's point there, I mean, do you think you this do. film has been secretly funded by the NRA to get guns? <laughs> into our
1: culture no because he was using a, a bow and arrow most of the time
0: yeah exactly
1: okay. Okay. idiot <laughs> the National Arrow Association is that yeah. what you say so Jeff you're up next aren't you um, so let's go from one cultural icon to another Jeff you're going to start off I am
0: off. indeed and thank you for referring to me as a cultural icon Graham oh, well not until you've heard the film you're going to review no Peter Rabbit <laughs> oh god yes thank you very much for this one Um, pleasure politics and horror my favourite films and I get Peter Rabbit mind you who would have thought that such a family film about Peter Rabbit would be our most controversial film of the month the Potter purists generally hate it and the politically correct brigade would also like to set a snare for this rabbit In complete contrast to them, and surprising to myself, I found it a fun, entertaining watch, although it is far more Looney Tunes than Beatrix Potter, and there's one aspect of this venture that was a huge mistake, which I'll come back to shortly. While the purists might hate it, The fact remains, the opening 10 minutes more than borrows from the source material, The Tale of Peter Rabbit, written way back in 1893. Neil, do you remember that? Yep. Moving on swiftly, in the original story and in the opening of the film, Peter, voiced by James Corden the huge mistake i mentioned <laughs> leads a food raid on the garden of old mr mcgregor a wonderful cameo from sam Neil, mm. who had previously killed and eaten peter's father and yes that rabbit pie is shown children beware back in the present the planned theft goes wrong and peter's caught by the quite rightly angry mr mcgregor and so would i be don't worry kids and neil Peter is saved when Mr. McGregor has a massive coronary and falls over dead. Peter confirms his death by a rather squelchy prod to the eye. Hang
1: on, this this is a family film. Is it directed by Quentin Tarantino?
2: Come on, there's no worse than a scene in Doctors in Up, a gunshot in Bambi,
0: Mufasa's
2: death in The Lion King. Oh, I'm tearing up. When did you
0: two get squeamish? (laughs) And let me explain for you, Neil... What the differences are. Those events were off screen. The pie in the house was seen seen
2: from outside the garden. You could not have noticed it unless you were an adult looking for it.
1: Keep going. What? He's right, he's got you there, Jeff. He's got you.
0: Anyway, keep going. Right. If you're a Beatrice Potter fan and I will just ignore what's just gone on, who has attended the film thinking you're going to see one of her morally uplifting tales on screen, then I suggest you walk out at this point. This is where any reference to the original ends. From here, the story cuts to London where McGregor's great nephew Thomas, Donald Gleeson, Works as a middle manager in Harrods. Why? Why?
1: Why Why? Why does he have to work? In, I could not grasp this at all. I watched this and I thought, what, what, is this an advert for Harrods? What's going on? Well, it's all to do with
0: what they would like to do with Paddington let's get these London icons in there.
2: Yeah, given the whole thing was set in the oh, Lake God. District, oh, what well the hell would you use anything for London? L- London. Yeah. <laughs> they, even, they even, at some point, when he was um, being being met by that person from London, Peter Rabbit went down yeah. there, he took them on a tour before they went to
0: Harrods. Uh, which was bizarre.
1: Yes. Uh, and I thought, is this for... To the Chinese audience to say oh look at this lovely place you can come and visit
0: yeah. no it's for the Americans <laughs> the Americans love
2: either, London either, either way it's, it's, it wasn't good
1: no okay. uh, I could have stuck with it all happening in the Lake District
0: yeah great well thank you <laughs> carry on <laughs> so, oh can I carry on with my review now can I sorry yeah. And the synopsis that I'm trying to do while you (laughs) critically take it apart before I even got to that stage. Thomas has OCD issues and loses it big time when he finds he's been passed over for a promotion. It is at this point he finds he's inherited his great-uncle's country cottage. And if there's one thing Thomas hates more than a mess, it's the country. And I sympathise. So his plan is to check out the property then sell it as quickly as possible. However... When Thomas gets to his new home, he finds two unexpected things. Firstly, he finds the animals have taken over the house. Throwing them out is the start of the war between him and Peter Rabbit. And we all know, in the world of films, it is not always the human who wins these battles, even if he should. <laughs> Secondly, he meets animal-loving neighbour B. Rose Byrne, whose name is a knowing wink to Beatrice Potter herself, and romance blossoms between the two. At this point, the central problem with the film that I mentioned earlier becomes really clear. The title character, or rather, Peter Rabbit, is voiced in a smug, condescending, annoying way by James <laughs> Corden. You see, Thomas might be highly strung, obnoxious, and with OCD. We know someone else like that, don't we, Graham? Oh,
1: yeah. Not sat a million miles away. Oh, <laughs>
0: hilarious. <laughs> But Thomas, like me, is basically a good guy. (laughs) When he starts a relationship with next-door neighbour Rose Byrne, you understand where he is coming from. To be honest, if I turned up at home and found it overrun by rabbits and other critters, the traps and the shotguns will be getting full usage, as would the oven. Given the tone of the film, the best comparison is another family classic, Home Alone. And that being the case, it makes Donald Gleason his character, the Kevin McAllister of the piece. So while the film, filmmakers would have loved Peter Rabbit to be the new Paddington, mm. they have in fact made him the new Joe Pesci, <laughs> especially when the various traps around and in the house are set in motion. Again, in a Looney Tune sort of way, I found all that very funny. It was also helped by some fantastic comic performances from the other animated animals. The greedy piglet uh, Bland, voiced by Ewan Lewis, and especially the rooster voiced oh, by yeah. will reichert hmm. yeah brilliant and being honest the rooster running joke <laughs> and a shock as each new dawn <laughs> appears it's just worth the price of admission alone yeah that's good forget james corden just go for the rooster <laughs> given how funny it is it makes you wonder how the politically correct brigade could be complaining about the movie
1: uh, let me guess uh, animal rights uh, fanatics complaining about the treatment of the animated rabbits
0: not this time Graham oh. although I think their Bugs Bunny lawsuit is still pending <laughs> no nope, the controversy which the filmmakers have since apologised for involves just one scene in that sequence a home alone style battle is waging between Thomas and the rabbits one of those evil four-legged creatures fires a blackberry into Thomas's mouth, causing him to collapse and then have to inject himself to stop an anaphylactic reaction. Firstly, in the context of the film, it is not the bullying the press has portrayed it is, and while I would never condone any such action in real life, in terms of movies, is this any worse than the throw-in of the house spritz sequence in Home Alone 2? Anyway, I don't want to get into anything that could get us into lawsuits... <laughs> So I'll leave the last words (laughs) to Peter and what he says about the Blackberry allergy. And this is what Peter quoted from the film. Is that even a thing? Is that where we've gone to? I mean, suddenly everyone's allergic to everything. Of course, it's a real struggle. My heart goes out to them. It's very tough, very sad. I just don't want to get any letters. (laughs) Let's move on. Now, it wouldn't be me if I didn't show how this Peter Rabbit can be seen as a Brexit
2: movie. I thought you said they were going to be the last words on the subject. Now you're finding mountains out of non-existent molehills.
1: Oh, no, uh, this I've got to hear. How is Peter Rabbit a Brexit movie? Come on, Jeff, let's... It's
0: always good to hear from you both, especially Neil, (laughs) and I'm pleased to see how well you've recovered from following your trip to ZZ's in Salisbury. (laughs) Peter Rabbit, and let's take this step by step, portrays an idealised version of Britain This is where the Paddington thing comes in, where every man's home is his castle and all foreign, and in this case, furry invaders standing in for foreigners, must be repelled. London is shown as the most perfect of English cities. Heck, there's also that wholesome romance between those two charming English people. What? And the film never fails to get a jibe in on the French whenever it can. I bet Nigel Farage already has the DVD on order. Except everything I've said above is complete nonsense. <laughs> we knew it. <laughs> we should put it in the opening sequence for future podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not in the way you think. Firstly, forget the wonderful English scenery you see. It was filmed in Australia. Okay. <laughs> the two human leads are Irish and Australian, and Harrods, that English institution which reaches predominantly in the film, is owned by Qatar Holdings. Being brutally honest, the only real English character is the smug, morally dubious criminal mastermind, Peter, as voiced by Jane Corden. Or am I reading too much into this?
1: Yes, yes, you are, as always. Not everything is a metaphor, Jeff. Sometimes a thing is what it is and not another thing.
0: Uh, it's a children's film, Jeff. I knew you shouldn't have picked this one. <laughs> okay, I'll wrap this up now, then. I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> All I'll say is, Peter Rabbit is American director Will Gluck's best film since Easy A back in 2010. A fun family romp, James Corden aside, that makes friendlier, easter viewing for your little kids than the other rabbit classic, Watership <laughs> Down. Guys, anything else you want to add? Our listener is probably eating blackberries by now. <laughs> Hopefully not Robert
1: Pye. Well, uh, I, Jeff, I actually saw Peter Rabbit and I was totally underwhelmed. I mean, you seem to like it. I, I thought the, okay, let's be positive the animation was incredible um, but after the excellent opening scene uh, with f- the farmer dies so does the film it's just a mixture of tones it does not doesn't know what it wants to be uh, I mean the stuff in Harrod's and the tour of London sequences they just to me they just seem to be tacked onto the main movie with little or no thought it seemed a little rushed Oh, and, and James Gordon is is not a leading rabbit oh you mean Gordon yeah. Gordon he's not a lead. James Gordon <laughs> yeah.
0: So it did, up, they were directed he, Doyle. Did, yeah,
1: <laughs> didn't I'm read, never, never going to live that. No, no, never
2: going to. Didn't he read the football results?
1: Right, actually, it's you next, Neil. Um, your movie is I Tonya, not animated or foreign what's the matter
2: i tonya us ice skating in the 90s a subject that's foreign to me and and, but you two i know absolutely massive fans (laughs) Uh, i tonya uh, is a biopic of ice skater tonya harding who may or may not have been involved in the infamous attack on fellow skater nancy kerrigan in 1994 it's more of putting the record straight than pure movie but compelling nonetheless the film was the result of a number of interviews of the main protagonist and then the actors act out the results the conclusion uh, their accounts counts are without exception wholly unreliable each one giving a different interpretation as the film goes on however they start to agree without without a final decision on harding's involvement harding's problems and this is the main part of the movie start when her father left her when she was small leaving her in the sometimes brutal hands of her mother lavona what is known at is that she was abused and beaten by her mother from, and from the age of 15 she was also abused and beaten by her boyfriend and eventual husband having left her husband she was told by a skating judge after having failed to get a spot on the US team for the 1988 Winter Olympics that she would do better if she was part of a family she wasn't what they wanted the world to see as the face of the U.S. USA this drove her back into the fists of her husband again she was friends with nancy carrigan harding claims she roomed with her truth or more lies it doesn't matter what is certain is that Tonya harding was the most determined athletic skater of her time she could do the triple axel let me demonstrate <laughs> i know you two know but you need to take off from the left foot outside edge and then watch that flower bowl and, <laughs> and and land on the right back outside edge after spinning three and a half revolutions it's a move that she was the first american to use in competition she's the first woman ever to land two triple axles in competition and to put this in perspective it's taken until this year's winter olympics for an american female athlete to land the jump in the olympics no one men or women have completed the quadruple axle Well, sorry, I'm just impressed with that demo. Do you want some ice now? (laughs) Yes, please. Yes, my knee is starting to hurt. Okay. After Nancy Kerrigan's attack, where she was hit on the thigh with a metal stick, uh, arranged arranged by her husband and her self-proclaimed bodyguard, she pleaded guilty to hindering the FBI in their search to find the perpetrators. She was given a suspended sentence, a fine, and 500 hours of community service. The U.S., figure skating association however gave Harding a life ban from skating and any coaching based on her assumed guilt to finally get rid of the skater that didn't fit. Tonya Harding who had such confidence and sure-footedness on the track and in competition, suddenly had to face never being able to skate again. The actual attack on Nancy Kerrigan, Kerrigan made Kerrigan miss the 1994 US Championships, which Harding won, but she recovered quickly for the Olympics a few months later. The ice skating final was one of the most watched programs in US history. The film is very much from the view of the Tonya Harding cap Given the media interest in Column Inches and about how terrible she is, this is an interesting viewpoint, giving some balance and background as to who the notorious Harding was. The film makes a documentary into a good film by guiding the interviewees into almost agreement. Surrounded by idiots and abusers, Harding really was hard done by, let down by family, friends, skating associations and the media. What shines out is her ability to turn the abuse to her advantage, the drive required to spend nine hours a day on the ice practicing. All through the movie, Tanya expresses the wish to be loved. To be loved is truly important to her and goes some way to Explain her motivation to compete and be the best. That she doesn't get much of it at all it makes the movie tough going at times. An excellent film, particularly the main two actors, Margot Robbie, who also produced the film, and Alison Janney, who won a, an Oscar a, um, Best Supporting best Actress sporting, Oscar. Alison yeah. uh, Janney, as Harding's mother, is superb and it's a really nasty piece of work. Tonya Harding was a guest on a recent episode of Ellen and clearly believes jenny played her mother perfectly which is a scary thought the m- film is really good putting to right some of the perce- perceptions created by the media hysteria at the time
1: yeah i i loved it as well i thought it was an excellent movie i can't say i enjoyed it, no, uh, it was but nice I, going. I thought it was excellent uh, i mean my key takeaway from the movie uh, and it's a mockumentary about the incident in sporting history is that it's not a sports movie no. It's definitely not a sports movie. The movie's hard work. We watch Margot Robbie's character go through perpetual abuse and degradation. It was just, oh. Uh, and Robbie spends the majority of the movie being punched in the face. I mean, apart from the a little variety, when her mother you know, stabs her in the arm with a kitchen knife or her husband tries to shoot her in the back, it's mainly a movie of glimpses of Harding's technical brilliance. Uh, landing the first triple Axel, as you said, Neil, uh, intercut with well, her getting punched in the face again. You know, you, you've got this real thing about women getting punched but in the just, face. It's, it's not just, right, it, is it? It was so physical. No, I think because Robbie played it so well. I mean, uh, and it was physically so demanding and and constantly. You know, you think, okay, you know, we've we've seen films, you know, with physical abuse, but it was just constant. And from the time she was a little girl, I mean, that that degrading part where the she made her she wet herself because she wouldn't let her go to the toilet mm. when she was about five or six and then she made her skate you know soaking wet it's mm. just total unbelievable degradation which, which unfortunately happened a number of times in real life yeah yeah and Alison Janie, janey you know cj from the west wing she was great and and then you know so we got an abusive mother an abusive boyfriend who later becomes an abusive husband and oh god the husband's best friend the guy who triggered the incident is a dangerous deluded uh, fantasist, or, or if you want a technical clinical psychologist's diagnosis a complete arsehole i mean he was <laughs> why doesn't the husband punch him in the face Does he i mean he's got enough provocation i mean the husband only ever shakes his fist at him coward
0: well i'm glad you Got into the emotion of this i
1: did i thought it was horrible i mean unlike most sports movies i was never rooting for harding i mean i think we've discussed it uh, before you were rooting for i I never see her as the plucky underdog i always see her as the victim at no point do i want her to win an olympic gold i just wanted to get the hell away from these terrible people and find someone decent to start a new life with it's a yeah it's a gold medal movie but a hard watch i think uh,
2: being on the ice she was away from them yeah yeah, uh, that was the escape wasn't it i did root for harding so composed confident and athletic on the ring and victim of her circumstances offer
1: um what she could have achieved if her father had stayed for example oh uh, you know i don't know happiness (laughs) contempt no fines no punishment you know a chance to have a normal boyfriend a normal less wretched life all of the above all of the above yeah
0: Okay, I'm going to take a slightly different tack with my review here and just look at it in terms of (laughs) film and film history. Um, I do agree with both of you that uh, this is a wonderful film, but it's a film you watch, but you can't like it. You you admire the film, you Mm. can't like it. It's something like the Coen brothers would make, Mm. but... You know, the characters without any redeeming features, most of these people wouldn't be out of place in either the film or TV series of Fargo. Uh, Again, as both of you said, the performances are excellent um, and they're not ashamed to play unpleasant people. Uh, Margot Robbie is astonishing in this and other roles where she plays uh, unsympathetic characters, Suicide Squad Um, I think uh, Graham I know you didn't like the film but I think you've got to agree that she was really good in the film She was the only good thing in the film Wolf of Wall Street um, Goodbye Christopher Robin um, when I spoke about Peter Rabbit earlier I didn't mention the fact that she did the voice of Flopsy with a lisp I'm sure the politically correct brigade will be out on that one, I was surprised to see her as a, a gentle, fun character, um, to be honest I would have loved it if she made a stew out of the title character <laughs>
1: I'm with you, brother. I'm (laughs) hop in this. Yes. You'll be fine. I'm the oldest in you go. Yeah. Take
0: the 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 carrots Um, out with you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, and as for Oscar winner Alison Jenny, uh, who actually was a figure skater in her own youth, she was just astonishing. A remarkable and jet black characterization. There's a moment in the film where you think it's going to be a point of reconciliation between mother and daughter and how that is subverted and then acted by the two of them is just unforgettable again one of the standout scenes of the year uh, finally on the acting front a shout out for Paul Walter Hauser has shown the brains behind the attack on Nancy Garrigan Graham you've already mentioned this a fantasist of the highest order um, and in real life I've seen real life interviews with him this guy's just a nutcase the use of the unreliable witness where memories conflict is excellent looking at this film from a cultural perspective these rednecks are not the sharpest tools in the box I would say the majority of these characters would be right wing gun owners I mean seriously would you let any of them have guns and you see a scene in the film why you wouldn't let them have it well no one and i believe this is true of the actual interviews showed remorse for what they did the fact that Tonya hardin gets got the heaviest sentence speaks volumes on how gender sentencing worked when there is no proof other than trial by media now in the uk we have a comparison with the case of john and Anne darwin where she received the longer sentence and yet it was clearly shown he was the brains behind that particular insurance scam. Oh that's the canoe bloke. That's correct, yeah. Oh, right. Yet yeah, she got the heavier sentence. Finally as a sports movie, or as both of you would say, an anti sports movie. Mm. Uh, it references Rocky IV throughout, and indeed there are references also to the ice skating classic Ice Castles. Uh, where, men- where do you get this stuff? Ice Castles, a wonderful <laughs> film. Lynn Holly Johnson, Ice Castles, Robbie Benson. You've not seen it, right? No. Oh, gee, I'll have to lend it to you. <laughs> no, please. Just. Fantastic. I'm staying quiet. I don't want to watch it either. Oh, it's just brilliant. You know, she's an ice skater. I'm just going to go off on a slight oh, tangent. She's an ice skater, and she was actually in real life. She decides she's going to go for glory, leaves the small town behind, gets injured, blind, but still skates to glory. <laughs> See, it's no, a fantastic a film. Proper sports movie. Proper sports <laughs> movie, like Rocky. Yeah. Which brings me back to Itonia. In many ways, films like Rocky Four and Ice Castles, the underdog sports hero would be the one that comes to ultimate glory in the end in that type of film Tonya Harding would have been a hero because of her different style real life is just totally different so to sum up an engaging but not likeable feature it's also very funny in a black comic way and an excellent use of music for setting period tracks such as Romeo and Juliet and The Chain commented on period and events on screen
1: I must say I did like the the, the soundtrack was excellent I really enjoyed Mm. that yeah my era really but never mind let's do a quick around the table on what else we've been watching jeff what else has caught your eye and as usual you can include both tv and cinema
0: i've been at as many events as i could attend in the stroud film festival this month now in its fourth year it is the first film festival i've attended in over a decade i've got to be honest very impressive uh, as organiser Andy Friedman told me the plan was to give film goers an experience they cannot get on Netflix and in this regard they've succeeded so let me just very briefly for Neil's sake because I see he's starting to fall asleep just give you the highlights that I, I, I went to a secret cinema style showing of Alien very atmospheric and in fancy dress a retrospective of the film Control the film about the short life of Joy Division singer Ian Curtis after which actor Craig Parkinson give a Q&A the animated feature the Red Turtle which I know you attended Graham and talk about Brilliant. that yeah. Yeah. Uh, even when I fall a documentary about child trafficking in Nepal and its consequences with the co-directors providing a very powerful Q&A after the film a wonderfully diverse festival which had something different to offer I look forward to next year thanks Andy to you and all the organizers I watched the first series of Altered Carbon on
2: Graham's advice last month. Compelling, but you really have to stay with it. And oh, yes. I just watched, binged watched, Jessica Jones season one. Marvelous. <laughs> also on Netflix, I caught the German language film Downfall. Uh, from 2004 an excellent historical war drama depicting the final 10 days of adolf hitler's rule over nazi germany in 1945 it's based on several histories of the period directed by oliver hirsch Hirschbiegel and produ- written and produced by bernd eichinger the film was non- nominated for an Academy Award for Best Lang- Foreign Language Film. Some of you may have seen the thousands of parodies of one scene where Hitler goes into meltdown at the lack of progress made oh. by his beleaguered generals against the Russian advance on Berlin. Oh, I particularly like
0: the one where he's having a go the English rugby team. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you might like that. <laughs> Graham.
1: Okay, um, for me, um, a quick mention of three things uh, that I most enjoyed this month. Uh, firstly, and Neil, you'll, you'll like this, I finally got to see the excellent animation, The Red Turtle from Studio Ghibli, uh, and Dutch animator Michael do De uh, dewitt Uh, very moving film Uh, I know Jeff wasn't enamored with it but I I loved it and I'd uh, again like to echo what um, Jeff said about the Stride Film Society for putting this movie on and allowing me to shelter out of the rain watching such an interesting movie on a very wet and damp uh, Saturday afternoon Uh, second and sorry Jeff uh, this is a superhero genre but I'm captivated by the second series of Jessica Jones on Netflix. Neil, Not
2: Marvel, you... is it, great? Yeah,
1: it is, yeah. yeah.
2: Yes. Um, Same as the f- series one I watched. Watch,
1: which he described as Marvel Us. I didn't... Did, I didn't, you you got got it. didn't you get that? Didn't you didn't get that. He you just weren't
0: listening, were you? He was asleep no, I think again. the word I use was shit. Um, <laughs>
1: you haven't even seen it. What no. do you
2: mean? What are you talking about?
1: Kirsten Ritter. I mean, come on. God
2: almighty. It is very, very, very good. It's really good. It's really good. Uh, yeah.
1: David Tennant as... Uh, Kilgrave. What Brewery.
2: Doctor Who? Yes, he is a really creepy, creepy character, very nasty and he's nasty. And he's in that the was second. just as Doctor
1: Who, and, yes. he's, and he's in the second one, and he's really good in that. Um, How's uh, he in the second? Ah, uh, I'm not going to no spoilers. Oh, damn it! Um, Brian Michael Bendis is involved <sighs> with the second. <laughs> Thank you for the fart gun. Um, Brian Michael Bendis is more involved with the second series and it shows in the plot and pacing, it's an excellent watch, and finally at the cinema my top pick for this month is Game Night an excellent scripted comedy very funny, didn't we all go to see that
2: yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoyed that That yeah. was yep. good. very good, very surprising
1: yeah, so another full month of uh, movie action
2: as
0: for next
1: month Jeff will be reviewing Entebbe
0: hold it they're right there stop the press yes yes. I'm afraid I was due to reviewing Tebby but we've learned this morning that that film has been moved I will now be reviewing and I look forward to both of your comments on this A Quiet Place starring Emily Blunt you can have my romantic comedy you can have my comments now
1: (laughs) it's a scary one isn't it
2: seeing it it's a science fiction
0: yeah right. right
1: i might go and try and sit through it i don't know if it gets too scary i might have to run out screaming yeah okay
0: graham will be reviewing the latest steven spielberg movie ready player one you notice they don't move spielberg films but they tend to move the stuff i want to watch <laughs>
1: okay and it went down very well at a, a pre-screening at uh, South by Southwest Festival, so I'm really looking forward to that. And Neil will be reviewing the latest Wes Anderson uh, animated movie, Isle of Dogs, which I'm also looking forward to. Yeah,
0: very much so. Yeah. Uh, you're a huge Wes Anderson fan though, aren't you, Neil? Even I... though he makes the same film every time. <laughs> yes, absolutely.
2: And, it, and, and the first ten minutes are always the same as well. I've seen, I've seen the video. Uh, indeed, I can't wait to see it. Speaking of fans, Graham Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One, you were a fan of his book.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yes, I enjoyed the book. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, it's not a literary masterpiece, but it, but it's it's a fun little techno thriller with some very obvious goodies and some very very bad baddies. I mean, the plot's quite simple. It's a quest, uh, very straightforward narrative. Uh, there's no grey areas, uh, no ambiguity or moral depth at all. It is, however, loaded with eighties computer film tv and music nostalgia i mean uh, as you read in the books you're sort of oh nice the goodies have just unlocked the next puzzle in the quest and oh no the baddies are trying to thwart them oh galaxians god i used to love that game oh 2112 i haven't listened to that album in ages so it's just full of stuff uh, constantly going on Um, and then then you get lost and you say "Well, what was happening in the story where am I and if you ask me to name any other characters in this book uh, other than Wade Watts the uh, principal protagonist I'd struggle Um, You come for the quest and you stay for the nostalgia, I think. Uh, It might be the first nerd exploitation novel.
0: So Uh, so you're losing, Neil, at this point. If they did one about the 60s of the Beatles and Stella Black, (laughs)
1: you'd be there. Uh. Thanks,
0: Jeff. Okay, to finish up, is what everybody's been waiting for. In fact, our listeners stayed on for this. It's the quiz. (laughs) I doubt it. (laughs) Yep. Right. Okay, guys. Casablanca is one of the most famous films of all time. And this time, I'm setting a question for you. Let's see if anybody can answer it without and looking this up. Now, Casablanca is based on the play. Everyone come to Rick's. Didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> in the film, Rick is played in classic style by Humphrey Bogart. I didn't that. What is Rick's surname, which is only mentioned twice in the film? What? It's a real film buff question. That's Rick. Nice. What's his surname? Oh, well, I've what? seen the film dozens of times. Yeah, Why as... on earth would I know his surname? God. Well, if you've seen it dozens of times, Neil, you may remember it. And you s- say
1: it's unlikely. mentioned how many times? Twice. Twice in. It's mentioned twice. No. Nah. Mm. Uh, nah. I'm not going to get that one. Okay. Well, our oh, think... listener will. Our listen better because <laughs> I haven't got a clue. Okay. And I think that's that's uh, it's a good night from me. And it's a good night from him and me. <laughs> The two Ronnies are now spinning in their graves. Yes. Thank you for listening. Good night. Good night. philthebearblog.wordpress.com Highly recommended. Many thanks to the artist Silent Partner for our podcast music. You can find more excellent Silent Partner music on the YouTube audio library. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave us a comment in iTunes. Or better still, hit the subscribe button. This will ensure that you don't miss any future episodes of At The Flix. You can also visit our website at theflex.co.uk for show notes and comments. We will be adding more content to the website shortly. You can get in touch with the show via email. The email address is show at attheflix.co.uk. Oh, and it doesn't matter if you spell Flicks F L I C K S or F L I X, as we have both email addresses covered. Our Twitter address is at the Flicks Pod for those who prefer tweeting to email. At the Flicks is a monthly podcast and comes out on the last day of each month. So see you at the end of the month for the next one. Thanks again for listening and goodbye.